Hello everybody, this is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine, and this is your Rattlecast for Tuesday, January 21st. Thanks so much for joining us. We have a great show. As always, Sean Ballard is on the line. So if you have any questions for him coming up, please leave them in the chat window on YouTube if you're watching live. And uh, we'll do an open mic after. We have a few new things going on on the open mic. We have, we're going to do a uh, prompt every week, which will be a lot of fun. And we have another poet from uh, Rattle Number 66, like Chan, calling in on the open mic. Or actually, I'm calling them. So we're going to try that out and see how that works. Um, and that'll be the actual audio that goes on to the Rattle website when um, Grace Bauer's poem comes up. So we're going to try to do it that way. Um, in the meantime, I should always say Rattle is a... 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been in continuous publication since 1995, and we are unaffiliated with any other organization. Uh, if you enjoy what we do, we don't ask for donations, but what we do ask is that you share and click the like button and subscribe so that um, stuff can spread around and we can spread poetry around the world and um, we can all enjoy it together. So today's guest, as I mentioned, is Sean Ballard, and um, his book which I'll put up on screen really quick right now. Uh, his book is Flight, and it has a lot to do with uh, the death of Michael Brown. So I thought to start out for the warm-up poem today, we would, pub- we would uh, do a poem uh, about Michael Brown from Poets Respond to sort of take everybody back to 2014. Um, the shooting of Michael Brown was five and a half years ago, if you can believe it. And this poem uh, from Poets Respond uh, is from August 17th, 2014. This was uh, nine, eight days, I guess, after uh, Michael Brown was killed in a suburb of St. Louis, uh, which is one of the places that uh, Sean Ballard grew up. And um, so let me read the note really quick. There's no audio for this, so I'll have to read the poem myself. But uh, this is Jason McCall. Um, This poem was inspired by the death of Michael Brown, the unarmed black teen killed by police in Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, His death is one of many recent cases of unarmed black males dying at the hands of police officers. He was scheduled to begin the college this semester. And um, and this is the poem. This is Roll Call for Michael Brown by Jason McCall. It will happen. An honest mistake in a hot August classroom. Someone will blink at the name and swear this Michael Brown can't be that Michael Brown. Or someone will be too busy with her head down, finishing syllabi to look up and see the flash grenades and tear gas. Someone will be running late, his mind on the cops that will probably ticket him for not having a permit. Someone won't see why a name is such a big deal. Someone will read his name like the next item on a list of groceries and move to the next student before the first groan rumbles through the stale Missouri air. Someone will start to speak his name and then cover his mouth like a Roman priest closing Janus's door and praying all the violence of the world will stop short of his porch. Someone will ask, Michael Brown, is, this, is Michael Brown here? And we will have to answer. So one of the answers is uh, Sean Ballard's book, I guess. But let me tell you a little bit about Jason McCall. Jason McCall is the author of um, Silver from Main Street Rag, and I Can Explain from Finish Line Press, Dear Hero, uh, Motherless Child, Two-Face God, um, Erzer's Books. Um, he holds an MFA from the University of Miami. 
and he's from the great state of Alabama, where he currently teaches at the University of North Alabama. That's from his website, Jason McCall. That's M-C-C-A-L-L dot Weebly dot com. So check him out. Just a wonderful poem. Um, and really sad. It was one of those poems that made me cry from Poets Respond, which makes me cry more than any other um, series of poems that we do really more consistently because it's the stuff that, that's going on right now. Um, so, and that was a roll call for Michael Brown. Now, uh, let's move on to uh, our guest today. Uh, Sean Bailey, let me put up his, uh, the back of his book. Uh, this is Flight, once again. Um, uh, here it is. Let's take a look. This is a beautiful, beautiful book. I think it might be, I'm not sure if it's called a chapter or it's not. It's under 48 pages, but it's, they're broad. It's a broad and beautifully designed book. And it's, um, if you can see, it is, um, let's see, my screen's freezing. But it's perfect bound, too. So I don't know if you can call this a chapbook. It doesn't feel like a chapbook reading it. It feels like a full-length book. And it's a beautifully put-together collection of poems. And let me read the back. Um, it was winner of the Sunken Garden Poetry Prize from Tupelo Press, which you can find at tupelopress.org. And this is the blurb from Major Jackson. The poems in flight unspool a rich and charmed history of survival into songs that celebrate the miracle of endurance in a country defined by the peculiar phenomenon of race. Many of the poems explore or allude to the death of Michael Brown and Ferguson with a brilliance underscored by the poet's extraordinary sense of sound to etch a new reality in our ears, to refresh staid conversations, and to lyrically give voice to the good fortune of travel and language. Whether reveling and having reached middle age or recalling that fateful day, September 11th, flight imaginatively addresses one of the great complexities of our time. And again, that was Major Jackson, who was the judge of the Sunken Garden Poetry Prize. Um, and as it says in the bio, this is uh, Sean Ballard. He was raised in St. Louis, Missouri and San Bernardino, California, which is just down the hill from us. Um, he has an MFA from Alaska Anchorage. His poems appear all over. Um, and he calls Alaska his home now. But he spends most of his time abroad. And over the past eight years, he and his wife have served as educators in the Middle East and West Africa. And uh, here he is, Sean Ballard. Hey, Sean, how you doing? Oh, hang, hang on, hang on a second, hang on a second. I, uh, I, I didn't unmute you. So, so you're in Alaska. So I I'm in Alaska. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's 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 pretty warm right now, even though it's snowing outside. And uh, and uh, it was we were in the negatives. We, Probably a week ago, so it's about negative fifteen. Oh man! Uh, now oh, it's warm. Yeah, so it's like nineteen above. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! Now the one thing that I uh, always want to ask someone from Alaska, I never have, uh, even though, like I told you before, my wife uh, was born and, and Rattles assistant editor. It was born in Alaska, <clears throat> and her whole family comes from Alaska. So my mother-in-law, I see her like all the time. She's from Alaska. Oh, wow. I always forget to ask the Northern Lights, right? Oh yeah. Are they as cool as they are in pictures, or is that totally fake? Because it feels like well, the kind of thing where it's like overexposed, and so it makes it cooler than it really is. Is that in like time lapse? I feel like it's all fake. Is that true? I'll tell you this: I was in Fairbanks probably two thousand five, two thousand six, and um, I remember the Northern Lights were out outside, and it was negative forty degrees, oh, man. and. 
I said, I'll just watch it from my window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so that's that's my answer there. I, I think it's pretty amazing. There were a lot of people outside watching it, mm-hmm. and uh, I poked my head out, but I couldn't walk out there and just stand. Oh, yeah. But uh, from what I... The, from the view I had, it was it was pretty pretty amazing. That's yeah. cool. Well, I got to go sometime when when they're out. It's got to schedule it right for me. <laughs> right. Um, so so how'd you end up? I was going to ask how'd you end up in Alaska? Like why'd you go to the University of Alaska? From uh, you grew up in St. Louis and San Bernardino, yeah. California. How'd you end up there? Well, I was I was they they offered me a scholarship to finish my last year uh, of basketball, and uh, I was out of school for for two and a half years, three years. And Alaska said, hey, come on up and we'll give you a full ride scholarship. And that was a chance for me to start uh, start back in school. Oh, wow. Uh, so I took the opportunity and uh, they were actually they actually wanted my friend, but he wasn't able to do it. And so I came up and the rest the rest is that. So oh, I, I knew you played basketball. I didn't know you were that good, though. That's cool. Well, I, I, <laughs> what, what position, well, I, what position I, I did you play? I pine. Yeah, I wrote the pine. Oh, I got yeah. a chance. I had the best seat in the house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good seat, though. Yeah. Uh, well, you want to start us out with a with a poem from the flight? Sure, sure. Uh, I'll read Midway. It's uh, on page three. Okay, thanks. Midway. So now, when the ghost asks me my age, I say, "I'm stomach over the waistband. I'm button up." and necktied. I'm shoes no longer the last squawking on hard wooden floors. I'm totem pole carved with faces of the past. I'm apple for lunch, walnuts, and pleasant dinners. I'm Red Cross bloodletting and good credit. I'm my father in that faded Polaroid taken somewhere in California. I'm high school reunion, almost checked the box, maybe. I'm electric slide and Jesus music, hallelujahs, and morning glory. I'm open book and lamplight. I'm Achilles, if he lived during the Renaissance. I'm nearly in danger of not being a danger. Old enough to say you were good and died young. And that was uh, Midway from uh, Sean Ballard's book, Flight. Uh, so, Chad, how did you get into poetry from, um, you know, when did that, when did that happen? Well, I remember you were talking to, uh, Peter E. Murphy and I watched that and that was, that was great. He had some wonderful poetry. And, uh, I remember him saying that he got into poetry to, uh, to meet women. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I got into poetry to keep mine. So, uh, my oh, yeah. wife, yeah, I, I was, I had just gotten married, uh, and it was the same summer, and we, me and my wife had both graduated at the same time uh, from the University of Hawaii at Hilo, and uh, we decided to take another course. Um, and so we stayed a third year there, and she enrolled in a poetry class, as an introduction to poetry class. Mm-hmm. And, and I, was, I was still a, you know, too much of a jock to to be brave enough to walk into a poetry oh, class. What was your major? But she asked me, huh? What was your major at the time? Oh, I majored with psychology. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah I got out of there with psychology. And so um, she uh, invited me to take the class, and I just, I, I wanted to, but I, I was just like, this is 
how am I going to explain this to my to my friends, right? <laughs> and uh, I remember walking past the class uh, one day to check on her, and there was another guy sitting next to her, and I said, well, I guess he's taking my seat, so I better enroll into that class. And so that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was my seat. And uh, once I got into the class and I, and I started to learn about form, it, yeah, it just it was pretty amazing. And so uh, it started to grow on me from there. Was there there a poem that did it for you, like one poem that made you made it click and then you realized what poetry does, which is, I think, something that people don't really understand in general? Yeah. Well, uh, I always love Sympathy by uh, Paul Lawrence Dunbar uh, and then Maya Angelou's Cage Bird. Those those were the two that I was introduced to first. Um, different stages in my development, there were different poems and uh Another one of those poems that did it for me uh, then, or maybe a year later, was Shahid Ali's poem. He, when he started writing his, his gazel, he had his book of gazels. And um, I was reading one of those, and it just, the, the form got me. And uh, I was really pulled in and attracted to that form. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, that was, that's what did it did it for me. <laughs> Well, you already you already brought up a couple of things I want to want to segue to later, but let's read like two more poems and then we'll okay. we'll do that. <clears throat> uh, I'll read how are we how are we are made to feel small. That's on page ten. <clears throat> how are we are made to feel small. I remember the feeling I had after September eleventh. After seeing a photo of Michael Jordan watching the footage of two buildings, two planes, two worlds colliding into a mess of ash and rebar, I remember it like the first time I relearned I was black. It was summer of 91. I was 10. I was running through the apartment complex looking for bad guys to fake shoot with my plastic gun. I was Bruce Willis. The apartment complex was a scene from Die Hard. I remember the feel of wind as it caught my shirt. How safe it must have felt there. How my lungs trusted it, filled themselves with it. My legs cutting through it like propellers on a plane. Like spokes on the bike I did not need to apprehend my suspect. I had a plastic gun, a fake badge. Together, they were truth. Truth was what they taught in primary school. Truth was when they asked us what we wanted to be, and some answered, president, fireman, police officer. I never wanted to be president or a fireman. That's the truth. I wanted to be John McClain. I wanted to be Bruce Willis in a scene from Die Hard. I wanted to save the city and sum up the day in a catchphrase, yippee-ki-yay, mother, before my mother called me home. Outside LeBron James's L.A. home, someone spray paint, someone spray painted the N-word on his gate. LeBron's response was, no matter how much money you have, no matter how famous you are, no matter how many people admire you, being black in America is tough. It was summer of 91 when I learned this truth. Some truths are hard. Some truths are not whole truths like the day my teacher invited the officer into our classroom and told us his job was to protect and serve us. We believed her because she was our teacher. 
We believed her because he stood there, 10 feet tall. I was 10 when the officer stopped me, 10 when they stopped Rodney King. Wind was still filling my shirt, my legs propellers on a plane before he brought me to a full stop. Before he examined my plastic gun, before you better spray paint an orange tip on that, before I almost shot you. My junior year in university, a far cry from California, my Texas teammates banged on my door, yelling, turn on your TV, turn on your TV. What I saw was like the rebirth of a phoenix, unashing. Afterwards, Michael Jordan, some basketball players, LeBron James today, staring into a TV screen, small, like the rest of us. The summer of 91 was the summer I stopped carrying a fake badge and plastic gun. It was the summer I stopped believing I was Bruce Willis. It was the summer we turned on our TV screens to find Rodney King clubbed into asphalt. It was a hard truth to come by, a hard truth to be woken to, like the scene of a black child staring into the business end of what I want to believe is a cruel joke. Okay. I'll read one more. Go with this one. Oh, so this one that I'll read is uh, one that you published in the rattle. It's uh, page 38, How I Survived. <clears throat> How I Survived. I stayed in late nights. I shot late night hoops. I perfected windmills and tomahawks. I let my knees burn holes in her mother's carpet. I mixed top ramen with blood sausage, Jesus with mint juice. I developed foresight and bad omens, packed juicy fruit, a sixth sense. I avoided gaggles of geese, murders of crows, and uttered no language. I left when it was time to leave. I arrived too late. I prayed before I walked. I prayed before I prayed. I focused my gaze upon the ground. I never gazed too long. I honored my father and mother. I had a father and mother. I ran errands. I ran home. I completed chores. I didn't shoot. I shot the breeze. I learned to clown and mean mug. I listened for rain. I listened for gunshots. I hoped to God they didn't figure me out. I didn't hang up the phone. I hung up the phone. She had a nice figure, so I figured her yours. I locked the storm door when there were no storms. And if someone knocked, I wasn't quick to answer. I moved away. I moved back. I moved away again. I remember what to forget. I wrote this poem. And that was another poem from uh, Sean Ballard's book, Flight. Um, and that appeared in Poets Respond, I'm not sure exactly when, maybe two, three years ago, something like that. It was after, um, there was a shooting at a... Um, North, North Park Elementary. North, mm -hmm. Yeah, the North Park Elementary in San Bernardino, which, did you did you go to North Park Elementary? I don't remember. No, no, I went to uh, Barton Elementary, um, but I had friends that went to schools that were, that were near there. Yeah. yeah, and I always think of that line, which is what I posted on Facebook today to sort of preview the show, but uh, there's a line in there, I hope to God they didn't figure me out. Um, mm -hmm. Can you say a little bit about what you hoped that they didn't figure out? 
I, <laughs> I hope that they they didn't figure out that I was that I was uh, an easy target. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That um, that uh, I I wasn't who who I pretended to be. Uh, so yeah, that's that's what I was going for with that line. Um. So, um. So you moved around a lot, and and you grew up. You grew up first in San Bernardino, and then moved to St. Louis. Is that right? I grew up in St. Louis. Uh, the first nine years of my life were spent there, and then my parents decided that um, they were going to move us to California. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 I think it was it was probably the best thing. Um, but we we pretty much set up shop where we stopped, and we stopped in San Bernardino, <laughs> and so that became home. Uh, my um, Uncle lived in South Central, and so we didn't make it out that far. So uh, San Bernardino became home. Hey, do you get back much? I haven't been back in probably a year or two. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, when I was traveling a lot, I would stop through uh, and make sure I get my dad Laker tickets, you know, uh-huh. when they come down to Anaheim uh, for preseason and things like that. But um, since, I've, since I've been back in the States, it's my second year back in the States. So since I've been back, it's uh, we've been pretty. Uh, we have these staycations now, so we <laughs> we stay home. But there, there's cool stuff going down there now. There's the Garcia Center for the Arts. I don't know if you know about that, but it's amazing, oh. amazing space they opened up. Um, I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, who it was the old police or old fire station, um, mm. and a whole sort of municipal building that built during the New Deal, and they turned this huge okay. art center. It's awesome, right on okay. like uh, Avenue E, maybe or something like that there. Oh, okay. really cool, cool okay. space. But uh, no, I, I haven't seen it at all. I know we don't really have a bookstore there, and that's something me and my wife were talking about. Maybe one day, um, excuse me, having a bookstore in, in San Bernardino. Mm-hmm. You know, um, right now I think we have one in Redlands, uh, and so people go there instead. So, yeah, it's 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 grown a lot. You know, um, you know about driving, commuting everywhere. Mm-hmm. And now they have all these different freeways that connect, and and so now you got to learn the new freeways. And so yeah, it's it's different. So so you travel around the world though, teaching I assume poetry, right? Um, you you taught in Saudi Arabia. No, oh, you're not teaching uh, poetry now. I taught, I taught elementary, middle school, high school, and university. Oh really? Oh yeah. Uh, so so, so, I, so why um. You know, why travel around the world to do that? You've been—I was going to say—I think you, it's Saudi Arabia and Ghana, and um, so so why why did you do that? Well, I I started as a missionary, and so that was my my first movement. Uh, we were in the West Bank. We moved to the West Bank, and then from there, Kuwait, and then Ghana, and then um, and then three years in Saudi. Mm-hmm. So we spent a little time everywhere, uh, a little bit like two years or so. Um, pretty much every location. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we started kind of just uh, being volunteers, helping wherever we could. And, and we found that we were useful in, in the school system. Oh, wow. and, um, and so that's what we did. So uh, we, we worked as volunteers and we got volunteer stipends and we lost a lot of weight. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was a great experience uh-huh. and we learned a lot from it. So, um, Today, you know, it, it keeps you humble. It, it makes you thankful for everything you have. And so today we we understand uh, 
every opportunity that we get is 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 um, appreciated. Mm-hmm. So, since you since you write about race a lot, I was wondering what because mm-hmm. I'm not a person who's traveled much. I grew up in one place. I moved here. I haven't really been around the world at all. What what's the racial sort of feeling like going to different places like that, like in Saudi Arabia or in Kuwait, or um, you know, is it is it a lot different than here, or is it sort of the same everywhere? Because one of the reasons that I hate traveling is that I feel like no matter where you go, it's the same, you know, and and it doesn't really change all that much. Yeah, you know, um, it is interesting. Uh, first of all, I travel with my wife everywhere, and we're 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 an interracial couple, so uh, it, I think people are just more confused. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we we kind of get out of we get out of trouble a lot because they just they're just confused and so <laughs> and so uh, that's always interested in in Arabic. Uh, I remember we were walking past uh, a lady's home and I remember her saying Ah Halib with chocolate, you know she was saying milk and chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> and she, you know you know so you get those kind of things uh-huh. like that. So you get a pass sometimes because people are so interested that they don't. They don't really know what they're going to do with you. Yeah. Uh, and so, if anything, it's just um, it's it's pretty f- friendly encounters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, but in, in Saudi Arabia, because it's so close to Africa, um, you know, it was I, I blended in, and it was cool to be able to blend in mm-hmm. uh, and uh, be able to experience life like the locals experience life. Yeah, so that was cool. So where mm-hmm. where were you in uh, 2014 when uh, the Michael Brown shooting happened? Oh boy, and, and, in 2014. And like, what was your experience of that? Did, like, did you know it was a big event right when it happened, or? Well, I can t- <clears throat> I can tell you this. Um, I remember where I was when when uh, when I found out about Tamir Rice, and I was uh, sitting on the couch, and I remember seeing a news flash on the television and and I, I couldn't believe it and, and I uh, I decided to, to go to YouTube to see what was what was going on and I saw the video and and the only thing that I could think of was how how quick it happened and um, you know and, and 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 I was so disturbed by it that I immediately tried to 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 articulate it and I couldn't, mm-hmm. um, and and I realized that you can't articulate something like that. Um, and with Michael Brown, I remember uh, my uncle, uh, who's in St. Louis. I remember him writing on Facebook and saying, you know, kind of, you know, warning his children, kind of encouraging them to stay in, don't go out. And he was very concerned. And um, and then I saw all of my family kind of popping up. And, and, and I realized, I was like, oh, boy, this is, um, there's a lot going on right now. And and um, people have had enough. Mm-hmm. And, and and so uh, I was I was very worried. Um, but, you know, those those things. When I think about those things, I think. Um, about what Gregory Partlow said at a, at a workshop I was at in, in um, Barbados, and he said that write about those things you don't want to write about. And so, um, you know, I didn't want to write about those things. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I knew, I, I felt that I couldn't do any justice 
uh, by writing about it. Like I didn't think that I could do it any justice. But inside, I knew that I was struggling with a lot. And so I decided to, to write. And um, yeah, so that, that became this book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. I think it's great advice that, that the idea to write about what you don't want to write about, because really what poetry mm -hmm. does is to, to find a way to access the things that you know, but you don't know and articulate your world in a new way, you know? So that's, yeah. that's really the perfect thing to write about. Do you want to read a few more poems? Sure. Well, since we talked about being overseas, um, I'll read some of those poems. So I'll start with uh, Pantum on the Presidential Election. That's on page 25. <clears throat> Pantum on the Presidential Election in Saudi Arabia. Fall is tolerable here in Jeddah. Still, I keep the AC on. My middle high students are keeping me up to date on the presidential election. Still, I keep the AC on. The middle high faithfully follow the news, I mean, down to the minute. What do you think about the presidential election, they ask. Who do you want to win? Faithfully following the news, my students believe Hillary can't be trusted. Trump is crazy, they say. Who do you want to win? Abdurrahman retells a joke, believes Hillary can't be trusted, and Trump hates Muslims and Mexicans. Abdurrahman retells a joke, if Hillary and Trump are in a boat, hates Muslims and Mexicans, I think to myself. The teacher in me wants to respond, hate is such a strong word, but I allow him to continue. If Hillary and Trump are in a boat and it capsizes, who survives? The teacher in me wants to respond, hate is such a strong word. My wife sends me a message, says colleagues are offering condolences. Abdurrahman presses, if it capsizes, Mr. Sean, who survives? I want to say, I don't understand the question. Why are people offering condolences? My colleague interrupts. I actually use the AC remote. I want to say, I don't understand the question. Admin has emailed a request for early contract renewal. My colleague takes the AC remote, heads for the door. My school director leans against the doorway. Admin has emailed a request for early contract renewal. But that's not why he's here. He says, Trump in the lead. My school director is Canadian. We could shoot the breeze about anything on any day, but that's not why he's here. Trump is in the lead, he says. My colleague who has taken the AC remote is Jordanian. We can shoot the breeze about anything on any day. Trust me, we can go on like this forever. My colleague who has taken the AC remote, the Jordanian, turns around, says, what do you think about this man? Trust me, I say, we can go on about him forever. But the school has a shortage of AC remotes. What I think about this man is the last thing on my mind, especially when I know AC remotes are in high demand. Abdurrahman lingers. His retelling still an open end, and patience is the last thing on his mind. My wife tells me, everyone is offering condolences. I want to say, 
I don't get the joke. I want to ask, who died? And again, that was uh, <clears throat> Pantoum on the presidential election by Sean Ballard. Um, Sean, since that was a longer poem, let me let me sort of break you off here okay. and ask. Uh, you, you know, one of the things that really stands out in this book is how often you use form and how many sort of homages you have to other poets. You have, um, you know, Pantoums. You have golden shovels. You have um, um, thirteen ways of looking at blackness. Um, so, so. You know, why do you choose to write in forms like that and sort of connect to the, the past? And also, David Cook on, on the chat window had a good way of phrasing this question. He says, um, so you've com- this is David Cook. You've compared basketball and poetry often. What forms of poetry would you consider the free throw shot, the layup, the slam dunk, the three-pointer, etc.? So, uh, yeah, so since you're writing so many forms, like which ones are easy and uh, which ones are hard? And why do you, why do you write in form just in general? Um, as I said before, I, I, when I was introduced to poetry, um, it was through an introductory, uh, introductory class that that really focused on form. And so that was my introduction to poetry. And um, so it was the first thing. It was, my, it was the first love, right? It was the first thing I was introduced to. Um, I think form, you know, um, when you have so much that you want to say, um, and it, it just comes out like a rant on the page. I think what form does is that it gives you those restrictions, those constraints that you that you may need um, to keep what's what's most significant uh, about what you're trying to say. Uh, and I think that's what poem does. Uh, a form does. Um, I had a professor. Zach Rogal, and he has a, an advice for writing's blog, and he says that form uh, becomes like a container to to kind of hold what's teasing your mind, right? And so uh, sometimes I have one line in my head, and I want to develop it. And if I put it in a form, and I just have to find the right form, uh, that poem will kind of write itself. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll write itself, and so. Uh, it, it can be a great writing prompt to use a, a, a form. It can, it can, if you have writer's block, it, a form could help you there. Uh, or if you just, you know, you're trying to to get your thoughts uh, to be to be cohesive, <laughs> <laughs> um, form works. And so, um, yeah, those are the reasons why I would use it. As far as a slam dunk uh, form. I always go go to the Gosnells. Uh, I just feel comfortable with those. I enjoy them, um, and I like how the, each of those um, stanzas can can stand by themselves, and uh, and yet they unify as well. And so I, I enjoy the way that works, and and I enjoy repetition, and I enjoy uh, refrains because it it builds up that tension that you need in a poem, mm-hmm. uh, and and. Many of the poems that I choose are the 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 poems that 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 bring out that tension. Right? Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And what what I've always thought it sort of plays back to what you said earlier. But you know, poetry is a way to speak the things that you don't know you know or that you don't want to talk about. And so it yeah. feels to me like what form does, which is why I love writing with form too, is that it um, <clears throat> um, it sort of distracts your left brain that's like focused your attention. Absolutely. 
with something. Absolutely. It sort of gives it a little like a to do task, you know, Absolutely. and then your subconscious or your right brain, however you want to characterize it, can t- can speak because your your left brain that's sort of drawing your focus is preoccupied yeah. with this with a form, yeah. which is sort of so that's how it seems like it works for me. I, I feel like that's well, why you said it better than I could. So, yes, <laughs> I, I totally agree. I'll take that. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. 100%. Well, I just one of the reasons I want to do these podcasts is to explain poetry to people who don't necessarily read poetry all the time. So uh, I try yeah. to bring those those points out. We have a re- <laughs> we have a request. Let me say again, once just a reminder, if you have any questions for Sean, uh, just leave them in the chat window and I'll pass them along. We have a request. Uh, Kim Tedrow asked if you could read that poem, 13 Ways of Looking at Blackness. It's a great poem. Would you okay. mind reading it? Sure. So um, <clears throat> I submitted this poem to um, Hart. I was, I was scared you were going to say rattle. <laughs> like, yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, every time there's like a good poem, I'm like, did I, did I miss this in the submissions? It's like a paranoia. Yeah, I, the editor I, said. I, I, I submitted it to Hart. <laughs> okay. Um, and at the time I was writing this, I was thinking about Tamir, uh, Tamir Rice. And so um, when I sent this poem in, it was, it was 13 strophes. Oh, it's 12. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I, yeah. Yeah, it was 13. And then... Um, Leslie Ann uh, McElroy, uh, she suggested that I stop it at 12. Hmm. And, and, you know, she said, you know, because that's the age of Tamir Rice. And that's what I was going for. Oh, and so yeah. it made a lot of sense to stop it at 12. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's what I did. So 12 ways of looking at darkness. I should preface this by saying that um, Wallace Stevens has a poem, 13 ways, where he uses blackbird in each strophe and so instead of using a blackbird in each strophe I use darkness 12 ways of looking at darkness after Wallace Stevens 1 I was bred in the darkness out of pant stank and memory Papa held the keys to the XY while mama flowered like a child under the moon 2 I slid out of her darkness head first with bloodshot eyes and skin that wouldn't take in the light. Three, like candlelight, we learned to count our days in darkness. Four, the black of the berry, mama would say, is the dark, darker darkness. The kind whose outer flesh does not respond to anything less than magenta. Five. I've known the whites of too many eyes and passion and flame, those whose souls eternalize everything, even the darkness. Six, when Papa was away, Mama's roost wasn't the wiser, so of course the two could not be reconciled, and neither could our dark nest. Seven, we admire everything brilliant, star and moon, Flame and angel. Never once have I heard one say how lovely the dark is. Eight. I adorn the head of Cushitic, thick nap necks, afros, do rags, and wave caps. Even Alexander turned his face toward Egypt when he saw our multitudes layered in the darkness. Nine. God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and they would have believed us. If only I hadn't covered it, your light 
and you, my darkness. 10. Even if I left this section blank, which I am considering, the M dash will still spill dark onto the page. 11. 11 ways to say darkness, aphotic, obscure, ill-intended, inhumane, indistinguishable, somber, murky, nothingness, Sumerian. After the earth has been cast out or swallowed, nebulous, if anyone or anything else remains. 12. My shadow is a child. That was 12 Ways of Looking at Darkness by Sean Ballard from his book, Flight. Hey, Chad, I have another request since we're doing requests. Yeah. Apparently we're doing that. Um, uh, could, you, could you do that golden shovel poem? Because I wanted to ask, sure. you end on duck instead of chicken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to know, I thought that was brilliant. I love that. But I wonder, uh, I wonder why. So can yeah. you read that? So, yeah, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it. So um, my father, when we lived in St. Louis, uh, we used to get, we would get allowance on Wednesdays. And uh, so whenever my dad came home late, I would always ask, like, where were you at? You know, I would harass him. And he would say, I was going to see a man about a duck, boy. Leave me alone. <laughs> you know, and so he would say things like that. And so uh, I, had to, I had to stay real uh, to the end, and I couldn't use chickens. You know, that's not something he said. So uh, Golden Shovel after William Carlos Williams. Our neighborhood of stolen bikes, backyards, and so-called conditions of standard living where nothing was much. Papa would drive up reverse and parallel into his spot like the spot depends on the smoothness of his return. Wednesdays upon the red brick columns we lean, porch heavy and lethargic like a scene to be duplicated the next week. I would eyeball the red brick wade between brothers, breaststroke my hands over the worn flaws. And a wheel accompanied by other wheels would always come to a halt whenever a child would barrel across the one way like he was tethered to a friend or a loose ball glazed in bacon grease and popcorn oil. Sometimes those headlights froze on a naked dime without renaming a street, avenue or lane, but often they did not. Rain was the usual culprit fingered in a series of lineups. Ice water, the other that shot mothers out of starting blocks. Jackie, Jackie Joyner Kersey beside their child lying broken in the road. From our red brick America, this was our rerun, our white picket fence. Our Wednesday evenings, Papa made it home, jiving. He saw a man about a duck. <laughs> Another great, these are just all great poems. Thanks so much, John. So this is Golden Shovel from uh, Charles Ballard's book, Flight. Uh, if you don't know the Golden Shovel form, it was probably the most recent form invented. Uh, Terrence Hayes made this up. Uh, and the last word of each line is a line or, or you know, a stanza from a poet. So this after mm -hmm. Williams, Carlos Williams, so much depends upon a red wheelbarrow glazed with rain, water beside the white. Well, duck here, <laughs> Chick chickens in uh, in Williams' poem. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, so the other thing I was wondering about is how what is it like to have uh, your wife be a really good poet too? 
Uh, <laughs> do you guys get well? You, do you get, well? You have the same. The same. Uh, you, your wife is a poet as well, so you understand this. I do, um, except we both kind of like dropped out of the publishing, being poet game once we got this job. <laughs> I think having a job like this like ruins you as a writer. So, uh, so we both kind of like don't participate anymore. Like we do for uh, for ourselves. It's sort of, but but not. So we don't have that like. Like, like you, you know, she publishes a book, you publish a book, you get this award, you know, she's shooting for this magazine, you get in, she gets in this one. Is that tough or is that, is it helpful? Like, is she your first reader well, too, is the thing I was wondering. She's definitely my, my first reader. Um, I think of it like this. Uh, your wife is a writer. You are a writer. Uh, whether you decide to continue or not or take a break, you're still a writer. Um, and so because of that, you guys know and understand when one of you needs to have that moment, that time to write. Oh yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. And so there's that understanding. Yeah. We're, uh, so I, I, yeah, I just say, yeah, that's one thing that definitely is true. Like we, if, if Megan's like, I want to go write a poem, I'm like, please go, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. the same way here. Like, it's like, like we, we understand what it means, I guess. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing um, that most uh, writers tell me if if their spouse does not write that there's no understanding for that you know because the time that you might need to write a poem is not something you can put a limit on right um, I can write a poem and I was telling my students this today is that uh, if I get a line in my head and I start and I know and I know that this this line has to get out Sometimes I try to ignore it, but you can't go to sleep because the line's like, I got to get out. And so I'll turn over and I'll write the line down, but then the line says, I need another line. And then that, that, that night you're writing, and by the time you wake up, it's three in the morning. I mean, the, the, by the time you, you try to go to sleep, it's three in the morning. Mm-hmm. And, and you still want to go back and then revise and edit, and then you're like, I have to go to bed. Um, and so I, I, I think, you know, just having having a spouse uh, there that understands that helps, because uh, you know she understands if I if that poem needs to be written right then and there, mm-hmm. uh, and that you can't you can't let it go away because you won't ever get it back. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's really cool. Cause that's something that kind of take taken for granted all these years and hadn't really realized <laughs> how nice yeah. that is, you know, cause I yeah. don't know what it's like. Uh, one of the things that you, you mentioned a couple of times now is like getting a line in your head at first. Um, mm-hmm. and that's kind of how writing works for me. I always feel like I get a line that's like sticks. I don't know why. Yeah. And then I'm kind of like, I always compare it to like flying a kite, you know, then you like mm-hmm. run up and try to get that line to work and like take yeah. off. It, is that line always the first line for you? Or do you like find a way to build into it? Um, well, I'm going to say this, Tim, all those lines that are in your mind and your brain are stuck in that subconscious back there. It's because you're reading so many different poets. <laughs> yeah. And when you finally get a break, it's going to pour out. Oh, I'm sure it's going to pour out. Um, I, I, that's that's pretty much what happens. You know, you when you're reading a lot of uh, poetry books, uh, you get you, you start to pick up other people's rhythm. Um you start to pick up their uh, their diction, uh, their syntax. Uh, you start you start to absorb these things, and and you don't know that you're absorbing them. 
uh, and then somebody says something or something comes up and then boom. And that line starts to trigger whatever it is and then it just starts to to pour out. Um, It doesn't always happen like that. but when it does, I, 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 I've, I've now learned to, to listen to it um, and kind of give myself over to it. Uh, but no, it doesn't always happen that way. Um, sometimes I, I force myself to write a poem. Um, I give myself writing prompts uh, and that, that tends to help. Um, but yeah, you know, but when that moment comes, I know what it's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Michael Young is here. I assume it's Michael T. Young, who's going to be on the, as a guest. With he's got a book out um, in about a month. Mm-hmm. But he uh, brings up a Richard Wilbur quote, quote that I've never heard: uh, "The strength of the genie comes from his being confined in a bottle." I think that's a cool, mm-hmm. cool quote. I never heard that before. Mm-hmm. So thanks for sharing that, Michael. Yeah. Um, well, we got like a couple minutes left. Do you want to read like two more poems, maybe, to close it out? <clears throat> oh, you, you sure. have some poems that are new too that you uh, emailed me. I, I don't want to do. skip those. <laughs> I do. Um, some of these are pretty long. Uh, well, we, we, you know, there's no, the beauty of this, it's not like TV. There's no cutoff. So if you want to read two long okay. ones, I don't care. I don't think anybody will complain. <laughs> okay, let me grab um, add a poem here. Okay, so um, I'll read the cento uh, that I sent you. It was in the email. Yeah, um, I got it. If you published this one. Uh-huh. So... If you were to ask me the state of my country, I would say. So I I wrote this poem um, because I was given an assignment uh, by my, uh, I I took a creative writing class while I was teaching because I just needed to have some kind of creative outlet. And uh, I took a class with a wonderful writer here. His name is Don Reardon. Uh, He's the author of The Raven's Gift. And and he wanted us to write about trees. And so I, I went on uh, Poetry Foundation and I said, I'm going to look up a bunch of poems about trees because <laughs> I don't have any poems about trees and I don't know how to write a poem about a tree. And so I, I went there and as I was looking at all of these uh, potential poems that I was going to read, I saw all these lines and all these lines were just amazing lines. And I said, you know what? Why don't I just take these lines, rearrange them, and then add a little cement in there to make them all kind of stick together and uh, see what comes out? And so uh, this poem came out of that. All right, so I'll read this one. If you were to ask me the state of my country, I would say, in the clear light that confuses everything, a tree grows as one might have grown in the Garden of Eden. It started its wonder like any tree in the world would, small, significant, having a purpose, a desire to bud leaves. The neighbors called it an elm, a Siberian elm, because some could see into Russia, perhaps in strain or collusion, but this is not the point. This is the light of the mind, cold, planetary, the forest of buoyancy that suffered Alexander, who from his true course turned the hands of this telling to a tree pool on a hill overlooking an icy river. And now the greenhouse is dark, gone. And here 
must I remain a storm-struck oak lean closer to the house. I say this to be beautiful. It is not the chambers of the heart which holds the affairs or the tree, but all we know of history. It is said they planted, they planted trees by the graves. In some narratives, the young girl throws poison peas out the window. In some narratives, there's no such window. And so that was a cento. Uh, if you were to ask me the state of our country, I would say from Rattle 66. And I just interject really quickly. That's the first cento we've ever published in Rattle. So, uh, mm-hmm. so thanks so much for sending it. That was a really cool poem. Thank you for accepting it. All right. So, uh, say one more, two more. Yeah, one more would be good because I got to. Okay. Yeah, I told uh, Grace Bauer I'd call her at, at seven my time. So. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll end with this one. <clears throat> this is Q and A. Uh, and I got this idea after reading Kaveh Akbar and. Uh, Tarfia Fezula. Q&A. Do you have a fear of losing people? I once rustled moonlight underneath the blanket and threatened to keep it. I unwrapped it slowly like sand loose by waves, a child with one present come Christmas morning. Do you feel being black makes you a target? If shooting holes into darkness was not a sport. In each glow, each bend and arc, each reach and fiery flicker of stellar assortment would be a lie. Who did you vote for? All I wanted were bodies back. Why do black people run from the police? The concrete is hot. These are new shoes. As sons and daughters of Mercury, we are partial to wind sprints. Julys and Junes. Slavery was such a long time ago. Why can't you just get over it? Sisyphuses, gluttons for punishment, huge joke. Because some of us swam to the sea's depth, told us this secret. Michael Brown is in so many of your poems. Did you know him? I often viewed the arches bend over a small piece of St. Louis like it owned the city. I and my school bus passed, never able to connect both ends. Who is Icarus to you? A canary on the hills of antelope, a pegasus without wings. Learn from protest. I'm in love with the sound freedom, the way the top teeth sink into the bottom lip, the way the tongue hovers in suspense before bouncing suddenly to the roof of a mouth like a mallet striking a lever, with puck rising to toll the bell, the last consonant ending in a kiss. What do you hope to accomplish by writing this poem? I hope to release a hummingbird from the palm of my hand, watch it fly off. On little wings. Thank you, Sean Bell. That was Q and A. Was that poem published anywhere yet? Uh, lunch ticket. Ah, uh, yeah, great poem and a great way to end it. Uh, beautiful, beautiful 
way to round it out. Thanks so much, Sean Ballard. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's been my pleasure. Hope you have a good night, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. All right, enjoy. Yeah, so that was Sean Ballard uh, reading from his book, um, Flight, which I'll put on the screen really quick. This is a beautiful cover art, too. It's just a beautifully put-together book and really wonderful poems. Hope you check it out. Flight by Sean Ballard. It's published recently. I'm not sure if it was this year or last by uh, Tupelo Press. You can find them at Tupelo, T-U-P-E-L-O, press.org. And, um, yeah, thanks so much for that reading, Sean. It was really, really great to get to talk to you and get to know you a little more. Um, One of the poets we published, we published him... uh, in the current issue of Rattle, in issue number 60, if you want to look back at that, and then twice in Poets Respond. So that is our uh, show for today. Um, if you're listening on iTunes or Stitcher or any other audio-only format, that is it for tonight. But next week, we will have uh, Kathleen Balma. She was a finalist for the 2019 Rattle Poetry Prize. Um, her poem... I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Uh, she has a great poem, though, in Rish number 66. And her book is Gallimufri and Farago, which I haven't had a chance to read yet, so I have no idea what that's about. But um, she's a great poet. We've published her a few times. So we're looking forward to meeting with her. That is Tuesday, January 28th. I'll see you then. <laughs>